What's up, everybody? I'm Kyle Hamilton, All-American Safety for University of Notre Dame, and I just want to say thank you for tuning into the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. This is our fourth day in a row in your ears. So we've been spoiling you guys, as Kieran, you mentioned earlier on Twitter. And I was putting out the bit of a, a bit of a tweet just to kind of drum up some interest. But yeah, we have been spoiling the guys. This is our third scouting podcast in four days. And the United SEC podcast that came out on Friday morning as well. So my man, they're going to be sick of us soon. <laughs> uh, look, mate, we, did, we talk a lot of football and... We're now getting into the most exciting part for me personally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm sure people are going to love hearing us talk about defensive backs after they've read the draft guide, see how we dissected corners, see how we dissected safeties and the feedback we had. I think people are really going to enjoy this podcast. Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, you were the corner person. I did the safeties as well. So we've got the right people on this podcast. And I think this is a position group or position groups that we both really enjoy. Like I know we had a bit of fun last time we got together. When we did the linebackers, and obviously me complaining uh, that I don't like to watch You're actually happy to watch tape now for this yeah, episode. Yeah, I actually really... I, and do you know what? I spent like extra time. That's why we're recording a little bit late on the Sunday night, because I wanted a bit extra time to kind of get into some guys. And maybe we've got some good players to watch. I think you mentioned last time when we got the linebackers together, and you were you were right in, in a lot of ways that we would have different lists. I think we're going to have pretty similar lists. We definitely got the tops right, because we've kind of mentioned it earlier, weren't we? Yeah, number one corner, I think, is just a, a general consensus amongst uh, anyone who, you know, is an avid college football fan right now. And and guys like me and you who break this down, it, it's very plain to see who is the, the best at each of these positions right now. And I think safety and corner, you know, general consensus is the top three guys are the top three guys on everyone's list. Oh, I don't know if I go to top three, but we'll see. We'll see. And to be fair to you, I know we, you know, it doesn't need to be veiled too thinly. We're talking about an LSU guy. That is not a hot take machine kind of moment there. That is pretty, pretty safe talk from yourself. We're there. just lucky we're not, to, we're, we're only talking draft eligible. Or, you know, <laughs> t- two of the top three would have been LSU. Right. Well, let's get into it then. Eh? So, um, obviously, you know, we, we'll, we'll journey towards Derek Stingley at the top of our corner rankings. But do you want to start there? Do you want to start at corners then? Yeah, I'm going to start at number five uh, mm-hmm. with corners. Uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of a wild card here, but Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. Okay, cool. I like what I see. His pattern matching is absolutely fantastic. The way he jumps upfield, the way he uses his hands. It, the thing I like about um, corners who who can control their hands properly. They don't get too aggressive and they don't draw many penalties. And, you know, he's one of those guys. The way he can take up field with guys, he's got that long speed that not all corners have. And he's a guy who came in just behind Derek Stingley um, in the recruiting class he was in. Mm -hmm. And he's absolutely shone at Clemson. So, you know, maybe not the consensus of people who would have here at number five, but I think Andrew Booth Jr. is fantastic. And, and I, for one, can't wait to see him play this season in, in an ACC that's going to be very, very competitive. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, I had a bit of a problem finding a bit of tape on him. I wasn't comfortable with the amount of tape that I found on him, but I did like what I saw. Um, but I didn't include him in this. He probably would have been because he looked very good. 
he probably would have made it into my top five. But like I mentioned, I just didn't see enough of him um, over the past couple of days when I've been watching these guys to give him a proper grade. So I just thought I'd just leave him out and I'll kind of revisit that later down the line. But yeah, I can definitely see how this guy would be top five um, on you know a number of people's lists. You know, um, like I mentioned before, I'd probably have had him above my guy who I'm about to speak about, which is a little connection with actually. Uh, but I'll go into that in a minute. So yeah, no, I can see that. What what's kind of his his kind of style? Where's he going to fit in the NFL? Um, here's the thing: he didn't play like much coverage snaps last year. But in the coverage snaps, he you know it was a shortened season. But in the coverage snaps, he has played. He's only allowed 169 yards and made a bunch of picks in the post, like highlight reel picks as well. I'm talking like one hand snags and like mossing dudes. Um. The, the way he has that like speed as he hits the second level, we'll see deep threat guys. He doesn't struggle to stay with them. So I think if you play him as like an outside corner, make sure he's leveling those deep threat guys, like your Nelson Aguilar type guy. Sorry, I had to get Patriots um, plug in there. But like if, if you get him on those guys who are deep speed guys, he's not going to struggle against him. And I think an interesting matchup I would like to see if both teams make the playoffs this year. Him and Keishon Butte would be a hell of a lot of fun watching those two battle. It would be the college equivalent of Jalen Ramsey, Devontae Adams, I think. It, it, he can mirror those guys. And like I said, with his pattern matching and the way he uses his hands, just him on deep guys would be a lot of fun. So if you play him on the outside, he's just going to create plays and he's going to keep people locked down, play after play after play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice one. I like it. Um, like I say, probably when I get a bit hold, a hold of a bit more tape for him, I will probably put him quite high up my board because um, I've got some good good guys at the top of my order. I've got a couple of guys that was a bit disappointed in, but um, yeah, we've got a lot of good players at the top of this list and, and in the cornerback class as a whole, I'd say. And um, we'll get into obviously the safeties later, which I'll probably say pretty similar things about if I'm honest. So yeah, no, but for my five, it, like I said before, I had a little bit of a connection uh, because my number five is Darian Kendrick, obviously the guy who Booth will probably replace for Clemson as that starting corner, obviously playing at Georgia now. After he uh, we left George under oh sorry left Clemson sorry under a bit of a cloud, and um, you know we won't go into, into that too much. But I mentioned it on the SEC pod that he'll be looking to rehabilitate himself. He'll be looking to kind of make a splash, and obviously he's going to get a chance to do that early on in the season when they match up against uh, well Georgia and Clemson play off against each other. Um, yeah, he's a player that I quite liked. Um, I was expecting a little bit more, but obviously he was talked about you know as though he might come out last season, and he didn't. And I was thinking, well, a lot of people were thinking he was really highly rated in last, last season's class. So I maybe expect him to come in a little bit higher than five. But, you know, just getting into the tape a little bit, I think he can play both man and zone. I think he's quick in a short area. Really physical, competitive sort of player, kind of chirping. That's kind of what you see for your defensive backs, really, isn't it? And as a former wide receiver, um, he's got ball skills, which means I think because he's still quite new to the position, his ceiling is going to be really, really high. He also played quarterback in high school as well. So he's got a good feel for the game, knows what he's doing out there, knows where other people are supposed to be and things like that. And you can kind of see that. So even though he's a learning corner, he isn't learning the game, like you know, like a Juco transfer or someone who's got into football quite late. So you can see that he kind of knows what he's doing out there. Um, I mentioned that he's physical and he's overly handsy. And I think that's because he doesn't really trust his technique as a kind of new corner yet. But like I say, the, the, the athleticism's there, the, the, the want-to's there, the competitiveness is there. And, you know, he's going to be going up against high-end competition again. So he's left Clemson. He's not really had a downgrade of team or, well, maybe slightly, but he's going to be against SEC competition. So I expect to see maybe a bit of a leap from him from summer scouting to when we're sitting here, 
you know, February, January time uh, and hopefully see him have a good season and, like I say, rehabilitate himself for a good Georgia team. Is he a good tackler? Because this is the thing I always say that separates mm. uh, good corners from elite corners is how well they tackle. We, we see it on the league. Guys like Jalen Ramsey, yeah, they chirp a lot and they are great corners, but the thing that sets them apart is how well they tackle and how willing they are to tackle. Is he, is he a good tackler? Because we know some guys, they come in like, look, we see it with like Devin White. He he mm. switched positions when he came to LSU and his tackling was something that really needed work on. But as we've seen now in the NFL, his tackling is pristine. So mm. so is this guy... Well, I've, I mind the miracle scale, I've given him a seven. I, I've, I've actually made an actual written note of it. So it was probably like fine, but not something that I really thought was something that was standout to give him like a seven out of 10. So yeah, he's definitely got, you know, improvement. I guess if he's been playing quarterback and um, wide receiver for his like early days of his career, maybe in high school and things like that, he's not ever had to tackle anyone playing those positions. So it's maybe new to him. And like I said, I think the ceiling's there because he's definitely willing and like it goes into competitiveness as well. So yeah, um, like I said, a ceiling player. Um, And he's, you know, I'll come on to my number four shortly, but he's... uh, Kind of the opposite way around. He seems like he's got kind of maxed out a little bit, but I do have him rated a little bit better right now. Um, in fact, I'm just going to go into that person just to like kind of link it together. And it's yeah. a Caleb Evans, who now plays for Missouri, who was at Tulsa. Player that I really enjoy watching. He actually, you know, at the time when I actually had him um, ranked, you know, I've obviously watched these guys in a, a weird order and, and not any sort of particular order, but he was my number two corner at the time and he's been knocked down by a couple of guys down to number four. Really, you know, experienced guy, transferred from Tulsa, as I mentioned, redshirt senior, really long and lengthy, really intelligent physical corner. Like, um, he just looks like he's in control of everything. You know, when, like, obviously the, the wide receiver might make, like, an inside and outside release, and he just, like, jockeys so well, matches stride for stride, doesn't look panicked, doesn't look um, like he's, you know, re- trying to recover already, you know. And, you know, he's, he is quite physical at the line, you know, he likes to use that length and, and jam people at the line quite a lot. And he's a good and willing tackler as well. Uh, definitely something I noted for Caleb Evans. And like I said, I mentioned in my notes here that he looked in control of every rep. And I'm very, very interested to see how he goes against SEC competition. The biggest, biggest red flag is he has got zero career picks and there's a serious lack of like production, which, you know, if he's transferring from the American into the SEC, how much is that going to show up? You know, is he going to be one, one that the upper echelon receivers try and pick on, the quarterbacks try and pick on him because he's got no ball skills? He's also going to Missouri. Yeah, so he's going to, you know, he is going to be, you know, playing for one of the lesser teams in that conference. What was quite interesting is that Ali Green, the fourth, also transferred, the other corner transferred from Tulsa to Missouri. So they're coming over as a tandem. So you got like a, a secondary there that's kind bit of, of chemistry. Each other a little bit, bit of chemistry. Obviously, they're going to be playing opposite sides of the ball a lot of the time, but you know it might help him settle in, it might have help him grow, watch films together, which they would have done before. So it's kind of an interesting little side note to him. But yeah, Caleb Evans, a player that I really enjoyed watching, but because he's a redshirt senior and he's only now just playing at the SEC level, is he maxed out? Um, you know, or is there more growth? Whereas you know, Darren Kendrick may overtake in the coming season. I don't know, but yeah, an interesting player to watch nonetheless. Yeah, well, you touched on it at the start. I, I really like his length because that gives him the opportunity to attack the ball at almost any point in the play. Unless mm. you are coming up against a guy who is just insanely physically strong, 
he, he's not really going to get beat when he goes for like pass breakups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think it's going to be interesting to see him in the SEC because he is going to be facing the best of the best in terms of offenses. So can he take that production from the American? Well, not production in terms of picks and stuff, but in the way he mirrors receivers and stuff, can he then take that game to the next level with the SEC and can he hang with the best? Mm. Yeah, I'm just looking up his stats again. He only had 11 past deflections in four years as well. So whether that comes down to the fact that he wasn't attacked, but, you know, you'd like to see him convert some of those into, you know, picks and, and therefore, you know, rad to, yards, touchdowns, things like that, and, and big splash plays. Wasn't able to do that, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and at number four, this is going to give people a bit of a, you know, deja vu. I'm going with a Washington corner by the name of Trent McDuffie, a guy who really really uh, reminds me of Elijah Molden, <laughs> except he's a lot more athletic. Now, he's mm. listed as 5 foot 11, which means he's probably 5 foot 10, because we know how colleges list these guys. But he has a 41 and a half inch vertical. That is the most recent measurement we have. He's absolutely ridiculous. Now, he's not one of these like prototype corners that we always hear about these super fast super crazy guys but he's insanely athletic and the way he can lock guys down he just put clamps on people play after play after play we saw him you know Elijah Molden as a guy I was huge on and I don't think he's quite that good but the fact that he's a smaller guy who can still match guys in the air and still get his hands in just he's so so impressive Mm. Well, it's funny you say that. I know you were super, super high on Molden last year. I'm actually higher on McDuffie Knight right now. He's actually my number two. So I really, really enjoyed his film. I yeah, just I'm with you with everything. Like he's super athletic. He's got plus ball skills, but competitiveness is like off the charts. He's on Bruce Feldman's freak list, as you mentioned, for the kind of yeah, jumps and explosivity. He's 200 pounds as well. So he's mm. a like he, yeah, even though he's like 5'10, he is thick as shit. And he's he's a bully. You watch him when he jams guys at the line. He'll just stick a hand into a dude's chest, and instantly they're like, "Oh fuck, I don't, I don't know if I want to run this route anymore." <laughs> like he's just, he's just really aggressive, but not aggressive in the way that he's drawing penalties. He is really smart with the way he plays, which is mm. what I liked about Molden. The, the kid plays heads up football. The biggest issue is sometimes he doesn't get his head around quick enough when he when he's playing the ball. But other than that, he's very very solid. Yeah, I think under my sort of cons list, I've got the same sort of um, concern that I had about Molden, really. It's not really either player's fault because it's more to do with the scheme that they play in. Washington, six DBs on the field all the time. It's heavily kind of like zone-based. It's insulated. They're all got help all around them. And I just want to see them kind of put on a bit of an island and make them kind of a bit more uncomfortable because although Washington's defence has been really good, they've produced a lot of good defensive backs over the years. You know, that system that they've all come through makes you know it easier for them because they've got so much help around and it's all zone. Well, for the vast majority of it anyway. The other thing I've got down is obviously he's slightly undersized in his height and he's only got a season and a half of experience under his belt. So this season's really big for him. If he can have a really good season again, it might kind of put that sample size up to a nice level and we get to see a really good player. So yeah, coming in a bit higher for me. Um, I'm really interested to see this defense and also in in that defense, this cornerback pairing because obviously him and Kyler Gordon over the other side are both super athletic and should be one of the top pairings in college football. I will say he's probably better suited to playing in the slot just because of his size. I, I think he would just, his production would be massive. I think he plays bigger than that though, you know what I mean? He, he plays above his size. 
Yeah, with his vertical and stuff. Hmm. I mean, if you just want to use him to his full potential, I think the, the slot is where you're going to put him, especially if we're talking going to the NFL. Some of the guys that he'll be going up against, I think the slot is the best move for him because that's going to give him the, the biggest chance of being drafted because he's easily a day two pick if he if he performs well in the slot. And if he performs well enough, then potentially we could be looking at him going late in the first round to, well, he, to a yeah, team that needs a he, corner. He does play both inside and outside from what I've noted. So yeah, he's got to put it on tape again for another year and we'll see what what we go. But yeah, I um, I really like uh, Trent McDuffie. I think he's a, he's a really top player. I actually have a late first on him at the minute. So yeah, the, the, the arrow is definitely pointing up if he has a, another good season. Do you want to do you want to hit us up with your third? Because I've gone basically through another one there with my second one coming out early. Yeah, um, a Florida Gator, which is not something. Oh, you we're going to have a disagreement on this list. We are going to have a disagreement here. You know who I'm going to say, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Kair Elam. Uh huh. I love him. I think oh, he's, he's so good. He's, he's not. so good. He's not. <laughs> he, and do you know what it is? He's long. Yep. He's long, and he's forced incompletions. All right on 20% of his 77 career targets, which doesn't seem great. But when you look at how he actually plays and works the catch point, he is exceptional. He's just such a good player. Um, I nearly actually put him at two, but when you see who I've put at two, I think you'll understand why. His frame is perfect for the NFL. He's 6'2", 195. He, pl- he just plays the outside so well because of his size. It's, it's one of the reasons I like Patrick Sertain so much. Now, I'm not comparing the two. <laughs> I think Patrick Sertain is probably heads and shoulders above any Pretty cornerback we, we've seen come out in the draft in a while, apart from the guy we're going to talk about both at one. It's it, it size for me, and you can't teach that. Now, there are some holes in his game. His tackling isn't exceptional. He does struggle to transition a little bit up the field. But as he goes into this season, you can enhance these physical gifts he's got and turn him into potentially the number two cornerback in this class because you can't teach height, you can't teach weight, and this kid, he really does have all the tools to be something special. So what are you saying? You want to just like go around the streets with a measuring stick and some scales and say, if you fit the bill, then you're on, you're on the field for the Gators then. <laughs> I'm playing, obviously, but <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you watch him play, yeah, he, need, <laughs> he, need, he needs work. But like, I'm, this this is the thing we talked about with quarterbacks. I, I've missed on Herbert and and all these guys because I'm like, oh, it's just potential. And now I'm sort of letting that bleed over into what I'm doing with corners. His potential is sky high. So watching the way he plays is absolutely fantastic. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm obviously playing around with you. He's my overrated guy. He is my overrated guy. Okay. I wasn't too impressed. I was expecting him to be a lot better because I've heard a lot of chat. I've heard a lot of, well, read a lot of mock drafts who put him, you know, really, really high. And, you know, some people do have him rated as the number two, as you mentioned before. So maybe it was, you know, geared against that. But obviously I've got a numerical scale, so I can't put that bias into it. I just kind of grade it as a C fit and see what the result comes out with. And he's come out with an early third round grade for me which I was expecting to be a lot more. Like I say, I, th- I don't think you're wrong in a lot of things that you said. He is long, lean, smooth in the back pedal, quick out of his brakes. He's willing to get involved in the run game for sure. And he can play a bit of inside and outside as well. But he is an outside guy, you know, fundamentally. And like you say, yeah, that's he's got, just the length. Yeah, he's got, the, his length he's got the NFL measurement, I think. Yeah, sure. But 
couple of things that I biggest question mark for him is questions over his long speed and his recovery. I was noticing him a lot, like when he was getting a couple of yard separation and he's lagging behind these like an, an SEC DB uh, wide receiver, sorry. And I just think if that's an NFL guy or like a pure, pure speed guy, I mean, maybe the safety should have been giving some help over the top every now and then. But yeah, I just think that's a big question mark because I think, you know, people only get more athletic. They only get stronger, bigger, quicker, faster sort of thing. And I think he's overly handsy. So in the NFL, he's going to call for a lot of penalties as well. So I think we've got NFL question marks. You know, he might do fine this college, this college season, but NFL question marks, I think, um, quite, you know, quite sizable ones as well. I, I want to say... And it, I, I, I've said this every year for guys his size. A lot of that handsy label comes from his size. Mm. Refs will call flags on these longer guys because it looks like they're doing more than they actually are with their hands. If you watch like some longer, rangier corners in the NFL, they don't get away with as much as the more compact guys. Like he's probably just as handsy as Elijah Molden or, or guys like that, but because they're smaller and more compact, they can kind of get away with it. But when you're you flailing, you don't big... see the arm extension, do you? Which is what the rest are looking yeah, at. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think maybe he's called a little bit too aggressively by refs, but that is just a product of him being the size he is. That's fair. That's fair. Well, I mean, you know, I don't disagree with you in terms of the season either, to be honest with you. If he has a good season, you know, he'll be on the national spotlight as well, international spotlight for us over here as well. So we'll see plenty of Kaya Elam and maybe he'll rise up from for me and uh, yeah, be cemented well inside the top five for you. Now, I think we're going to, we've got two guys left to talk about. We've obviously got the same one guy and I think our third and second respectively is the same person as well. And it's going to be Ahmad Gardner, isn't it? From Source. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so I'll kick off with this one because obviously I'll let you kind of kick off with Stingley being an LSU guy. We're talking about length again, you know, six foot two. Cincinnati are still listening at six foot three as well. So, you know, we're like kind of going back to what you said. We know that every corner kind of, gets an extra inch. <laughs> we, know that, we know that they get that 188 pounds as well. So, you know, we've got length and we could maybe pack up a little bit of muscle on there, add another seven, eight, nine, ten pounds kind of thing. And he does have a little skinny frame. So, you know, he's definitely going to get in that NFL weight program and become a little bit stronger, which he does need. But the tools again are there. Um, XY receiver again, so he's got the ball skills, which I think he got four picks last year. So it definitely came out. Production has been amazing throughout his both his years at Cincinnati. And I feel like the way, way the game, sorry, that I watched him, the way that Cincinnati deploy him, they definitely trust him to be a lockdown um, corner on an island on himself. He is an alpha cornerback. And the kind of cornerback that I really like, you know, I'm not comparing him again, but I was obviously big on JC Horn last year. And the way that he was kind of so dominant and alpha, that's the way you want your cornerbacks to be again. So I think he's got the physical gifts and the kind of intangibles in that way that the NFL will love. Um, and he's great in press again, kind of uses that length again. Same sort of things we've kind of just been saying, like Elam and maybe a couple of other guys as well, like A. Caleb Evans as well. And one thing that I kind of um, did notice on his tape was sometimes he gets his feet in bad positions and he kind of gets his feet a bit messed up. He's not too fluid sometimes. I think it's one of these kind of long traits again, where you kind of, you know, you're not in control of your feet too much. It's not like those shorter guys where we know where everything goes because we can see everything really easily down there. But um, yeah, no, I think if you can sort that out, sort his technique out, sort his backpedal out and the way he kind of flips his hips and, and breaks with the receiver, I think you've got a really, really talented guy on there. And um, yeah, I got him a pretty solid second round grade now um, for my number three, which is, uh, yeah, Mad Gardner. Yeah, I'm going to throw some stats at you real quick, just, uh-huh. just, just so we can elaborate on how good he's been doing. Um, 
Back-to-back seasons, Marcus Freeman was an exceptional defensive coordinator. A guy I wanted to come to LSU, but alas, we went a different direction. Um, he's only allowed 40 catches on 98 targets for 581 yards with six interceptions, 14 pass breakups. That's across the past two years. Mm-hmm. And he's done almost all of it while playing press man coverage. He has played 454 press snaps over the past two seasons. And that's the third most in college football over the span. This is it. He's just, he's just incredible. Uh, and another guy who, his frame and size is absolutely amazing. Like you said, if he can put on 10 pounds, he could be con- looking at, you know, coming in a consensus number two corner, being gone as one of the top guys in the 2022 draft, not even to a team that's corner hungry, but to a team that thinks, fuck, he's too good to pass up on. Mm. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think uh, the guy we're going to talk about another one is going to get past number five, but I don't think Gardner gets past number 10. If he has a great show in this year, he is just incredibly, incredibly talented. And the fact that he wasn't that highly recruited is honestly a travesty. He was only a three-star recruit, wasn't it? And you're right, I I was wrong earlier. It's actually three picks a season, wasn't it? Not four last year. I thought it was four and two, but yeah, it's three and three. But yeah, a three-star recruit out of Detroit as well. So, you know, in a big city as well, you would have thought he would have got a bit more um, attention because obviously, you know, you can see three-star recruits in the middle of nowhere and they get like a scholarship offer for like Montana or something like that. And it's like... Well, if you look at how Cincinnati has recruited, a lot of their best players are sort of like unknown guys, Mm. but from fairly... You know, like Desmond Ridder's a guy from Kentucky, so they're local-ish. Mm. I mean, you know, Detroit's not too far away, but yeah. like, you know, guys that weren't really as heavily recruited and obviously Luke Fickle's gone and said, these guys are talented, let me go get them, and, and they've done wonders. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So you're number two and my number three. Obviously, I've got Duffy at number two, so we're here. We're at number one. It's Derek Stingley Jr. I'll hand over to you because obviously he's your guy. He, look, I don't want to overplay it, but he probably is one of the best cornerback prospects we've seen in a long time. I don't think that's a shock to anyone. He's wearing the number seven this year. He's just he's just ridiculous. Like, oh, I don't want to throw out that Hall of Fame thing out there because, you know, that gets overplayed a lot. But 6-1, almost 200 pounds. He's an absolute fucking beast. Like, since day one, um, he's been at LSU... 451 snaps in press, right? He, he, he's super highly graded. He's only allowed 163 yards in seven games, and he's been a pick machine. I posted earlier on Twitter when he picked off Jake Fromm at 18 years old. He's reading a guy who had a college football experience at that time and absolutely just taken off with the ball. If you could find me someone who's a better cornerback prospect than Derek Stingley in the past 10 years, be my guest. He is absolutely phenomenal. I'm not just saying this because we're DBU. He is phenomenal. Like everything he does is amazing. And I know people are going to point out what happened last year, but even with a guy who didn't know a difference between his ass and a hole in the ground, he was still one of the best cornerbacks in college football. And I don't think it was even close. The only guy who even comes close to him as a good a football player is Kayvon Thibodeau. That's how good Derek Stingley is, and that's how much of an impact he has on a team. He put clamps on some of the best receivers in just his freshman year. If you watch what he's done, there's no one this good. There, there just isn't. And what he did 
Um, you know, and he's, I know he's got Eli Ricks, the other side of the field, who is once again, a phenomenal guy. There's just, there's just no one better. And if you could find me a better corner, I'd be shocked. And once again, he's wearing that number seven. And I genuinely think if he does, like he's not playing offense for the UCLA game, just, just a prior warning. If he does play the offense that he wants to play for a majority of the season, we're probably looking at a defensive Heisman candidate. Could be, because he is very, very good. Um, I just looked up as um, as you were speaking there, my grade in comparison with Thibodeau and Stingley is clear and it's, I'm not going to say it's not close because that's a ridiculous phrase. That's way overused. But there's a de- there's a gap. There's not there's not there's not really neck and neck. And there, you know, I mainly concentrate on defense. Obviously, doing this podcast over the summer. Obviously, in the season, I'll have a little bit more you know depth and also flip out offense as well, which I've not really delved into at present time. But yes, Stingley is my number one player on my board at the moment, and Thibodeau's the second. And there's and a, like, a, a bit of a gap. And he's Thibodeau's a, a yeah. fucking animal. Yeah. Like, let's oh, make yeah. no mistake, he's one of the best edge guys <laughs> yeah. that we've we've seen in a while. Like, he's comparable to Chase Young in the way he yeah, plays he's the on, game. Yeah, he's on, like, Miles Garrett, kind of, Bosa Brothers, kind of, yeah, like, say, Young, yeah. he's on that level, yeah, for sure. Which says a lot about Derek Stingley, that a guy who is off the edge, who has the production and has the, the more flashy numbers in terms of, like, sacks, quarterback hits, that a cornerback is that far ahead of him, really says a lot about how good Stingley is. And, mm. you know, you know, Andy's going to hate this because we're talking up an LSU prospect so much, but he really is probably the best player in this draft. And I don't think it's even close because with him and Thibodeau at the front and he's that far ahead of Thibodeau, yeah, he, he is the best player in this draft. And if he makes it out of the top five picks, then, you know, those teams have made a massive fucking mistake. Yeah, I would, I would go along with that, to be honest with you. It kind of goes back to something that you mentioned. I can't remember what play you mentioned it against, but um, sort of thing that, you know, we might not even need a corner. We might just take him just to have a great player. You know what I mean? Don't, don't let having good players stop you drafting great players, as they say. So I, I would be fully on board with the Patriots going 0-17 if it meant we could take Derek Stingley in the first, like, first overall pick. Uh, that's how much... I like this kid, and I know we've got the two best corners in the league with JC Jackson and Stefan Gilmore. But like, legitimately, this this guy is gonna be a superstar. Mm-hmm. He's gonna outperform Satane, JC, you know, all these guys and the guys we've seen come through the league in terms of Richard Sherman, Patrick Peterson, all these absolute beasts. He's gonna outperform all of them. Yeah, no, I, I can't argue because you know my <laughs> pros list is very lengthy that I have in front of me. And my cons list is extremely short. It reminds me of when I was watching Panisol last year. Um, and I, the, the only like question that I wanted to put to you, kind of in this preparation for the pod, was: Is he overcommitting himself by playing wide receiver as well this year? I, I think what he's doing is he's trying to make his mark, and he wants that Heisman Trophy. That's the only reason he's playing offense. Yeah, Charles Woodson. Yeah, thing. Charles Woodson didn't win the Heisman from being a great corner. He won it from being a great athlete. And I think that's what Stingley is trying to make a point of, of saying, hey, I can return punts. I can return kicks. I can catch the ball for touchdowns. I'm a threat. And also he's going to play corner. But I think he maybe was overextending himself a little bit. And with the slight injury concern we have around him right now, he's not going to be playing anything other than corner for our opener against UCLA. We'll see what happens as we go on. But 
yeah, the only reason he wanted to play offense is is to win the Heisman. Mm. If he says otherwise, then I, I think he's lying. That's fair enough. Yeah, obviously, you know, we do have that precedent. It was a long time ago, obviously, 1997 or something like that, wasn't it, when Charles Woodson won the Heisman? So, you know, we're looking at the best part of, well, it's 20 years or so ago, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, no, he's got precedent, but a very long time ago. It'd be interesting to see kind of how the... Uh, the kind of award goes with that, you know, in, in terms of how much we take into account and whether he kind of gets that respect that he deserves. Obviously, he has to play well to get that respect, but to see how they go, because obviously it's a quarterback award um, at the moment and has been for a few years now. So, Which um, I think is wrong, by the way, because, yeah, you know, yeah, even though so he well. was going up against the, the best quarterback we've ever seen play college football, like Chase Young was the best. Like, I, I love Joe Burrow, but let's make no mistake, Chase Young was the best player in that draft. Mm. And if it wasn't for the run that LSU went on, Chase Young should have won the Heisman in 2019. Oh, and, yeah. and literally, it was only because of those 60 touchdowns that he didn't win that. And if it was any other year, you know, if it was the year prior or the year after, Chase Young should have won um, the Heisman. So I think hopefully, if Stingley can win the Heisman, that will maybe the voting committee will be like, ah, maybe quarterback sent shit and we should start looking at other positions because it would be quite interesting to see, you know, more guys like, remember when Orlando Pace was in the running, it'd be more interesting to start mm. seeing some dominant positions like Ndomukun Sue be in uh, running for the Heisman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that one. Um, yeah, fortunately, you know, we've got Rashawn Slater, who was the only person who shut down Chase Young in that season. So, Looking forward to week one when they two, those two guys get together again. But um, yeah, let's start. It's not the Chargers podcast. But we won't try and make it like. Um, I've already shouted out my overrated guy. Um, who is your overrated and underrated guys at the position of cornerback? Oh, this is so hard because I don't want to like shit on guys because there's actually some really talented guys um, here, but probably Noah Daniels. For uh, overrated just, or underrated, we're talking. Oh, um, overrated. Okay. Um, I just, you know, I I don't like him as a player. I don't think his tackling's good enough. I don't think his fundamentals are solid enough. Like, yeah, he's six foot one ninety four, but that's the only thing he has going for him. Um, I would say for underrated, probably Josh Job out of Alabama, though, because I, I don't see many people talking about him, but he's actually a fucking animal. And you look <laughs> at him opposite Patrick Satane last year, and yeah, Patrick Satane's one of the best guys we've seen in a long time, but like he was he was a savage. Like at 209 yards were fewer than Satane that mm. he allowed. So when he's clamping down better than a first round corner and people aren't even looking at him in the top five, I think, yeah, he's definitely underrated. And I did nearly put him in my top five. I I just liked what I saw off Andrew Booth a little bit more. That's fair. And that's Noah Daniels at TCU for people who aren't aware yes. of that, isn't it? sorry. Yeah. Texas cool. Christian University producing overrated defensive backs. <laughs> sorry, Trevor Murray. And also they've got uh, Travis Hodgins Tomlinson on there as well. Lertanian Tomlinson's nephew, I think. Um, so yeah, they've got a nice, uh, well, obviously not in your opinion, but it, you know, a nice cornerback tandem as well, going back to what I was mentioning earlier about a nice few pairings. Um, my underrated guy um, is you know someone that you might actually quite like me mention, actually. It's Stephen Gilmore out of Marshall, obviously brother of Stefan. First of all, can we just attack the biggest, biggest question mark around this is, if you were parents, why on earth would you name your kids Stephen and Stefan? That is bizarre. Bizarre <laughs> naming decision. 
I, I've noticed Americans' uh, unique naming choices. One of my good friends out here, Ray, called his son Ray. And we, it's big, <laughs> you know, it? yeah. yeah, it's big to have these similar names out here. So I think it was. Uh, also, by the way, their Instagram handles are amazing because Stefan's is Bump and Run Gilmar <laughs> and Stevens is Toofy Gilmore. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, he definitely is underrated. Um, I think of Marshall, by the way, for not those who yeah, are yeah. Where... I think a lot of people are taking shine off him because they're like, oh, it's the name. Mm. Uh, you know, people kind of comparing him. Um, to his brother a little bit, which I think is unfair, because you can't compare a kid at a CUSA college to, you know, probably a top three cornerback in the in the NFL. So hmm. it'd be interesting. To, I think he's a solid day three pick, and I honestly think the Patriots are going to pick him up just because of how we are. That would be, that would make sense to be fair. I mean, it's bit it's obviously a bit of a step down. Cause obviously, Stefan was recruited well. He went to South Carolina, obviously SEC school, um, Power Five school, obviously. Stephen not so much, obviously at Marshall, um, so not as highly kind of recruited. Obviously, there's quite a def- decent age gap in between them because obviously Stefan is thirty, I would say maybe something like that, maybe 30, 31. Yeah, he's 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 in his. 30s for sure because we were talking about his contract renewal in the group chat the other day and we're like oh yeah you know we don't want to pay him too much if he's that <laughs> fucking old but yeah okay. yeah there's there's an age difference for sure but um if he plays anything like his brother once he makes it to the next level he's going to be an absolute stud and let's not forget Stefan Gilmore wasn't that great when he jumped into the league it wasn't until he got into a you know when he played with Buffalo he was he was okay but he wasn't like mm. setting the world on fire it wasn't until he came to new england and was used oh, by Bill Bell- come on he was decent come on as well yeah but was he a defensive player of the year candidate no year but, year yeah the power was definitely pointing up earlier than when he rocked up in new england let's just say that which, which is what i'm saying i think with steven it's just going to be a case of getting into a system that knows how yeah. to use him correctly and look you know from what i just to get into like a little bit of his traits and things like that i saw you know both man and zone coverage as i'm quite being quite solid obviously playing against a lower level of competition. So I can't say, you know, great things about him, you know, being up against great level of competition. So that has got to be taken into account. But a solid and willing tackler for sure. Good read and react as well, you know, breaking out of his back pedal quite nicely, making break on the ball, was willing to get involved in the run game as well. And a kind of big thing as well for what we've just been talking about, you're saying it's going to be day three pick. I tend to agree. Looks good on special teams as well, playing as like a gunner and things like that. So um, it's really underrated uh, skill for... We did this over the draft card. I can't remember his name. He's that kid out of UCF who I said will, should not be drafted in a million years as a fucking corner. But if you put him on special teams as a gunner, he's a great pickup. So I think the fact that Steven can actually play corner, mm. but also has that utility role actually makes him a little bit more valuable to teams. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm watching out for him. Marshall was quite good last year as well. So looking out for them a little bit. So yeah, that wraps up, wrap us up with cornerbacks as uh, our top fives and under and overrated players. We'll switch through to safeties. Um, I'll I'll hand it over to you because obviously I kicked off last time with the mine on the five. So I'll hand, hand over to you for your first safety. Yeah, Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. Um mm-hmm. Going to get a lot of flack for this, but I feel like my whole fucking list is just box safeties at this point. But <laughs> They're just the guys who are performing so well. 6'1", 215, he, he hits hard. Mm. Like, let, let's be honest, like if you compare him to like actual linebackers, he's still one of the hardest hitting guys in the country. Um, 
he's not like reckless though. Like we see some guys who are just big hitting safeties who are just going out there and laying on people and getting targeting calls left, right and center. He's not that sort of guy. Mm. He's hitting guys and he can knock that ball out, but he's he's just a really smart football player, despite the fact that he's a big hitter. He he does play with a level of intelligence. Um, 59 tackles last year, only missed one tackle, which is exceptional and what you really want from this sort of guy. While he might be better suited to that linebacker role, we're kind of seeing this blending of linebacker and safety at the moment. We see it with guys like Jamal Adams. And there's very few like pure safeties left. There's only really guys like Derwin James and Buda Baker who are playing that strict uh, safety role left in the NFL. So I think he's more on those hybrid guys, but I definitely think he's a guy to look at. And the reason I've put him at number five is because he's more of a hybrid, more than a pure safety. It's player that I watched, um, not, I actually watched him just quite recently, actually, this afternoon. Um, yeah, I liked him, not too bad. Um, yeah, let's say athleticism range, really good tackling as well. Uh, Juco transfer, so he's not got a great deal of polish. Um, I, I did notice that in terms of like his read and react and things like that, angles, I thought it could be poor at times as well when approaching the ball carrier. But, you know, like you say, for someone who is a Juco transfer, he's got a lot to offer and he'll be a great special team player just to kind of pick up on what we were just saying, you know, if nothing else. Yeah, and we see a lot from these Juco guys. They, they kind of play like they've got something to prove. Absolutely. I think that's the reason he's such a big hitter. He's like... I am not, you know, letting this shot slip again. I have had to come from the bottom of college football to where I am now, and I really respect the way he plays. Yeah, no, for sure. He's a, he's a player who could be on the rise, you know, in a Penn State team that should have a pretty good defence and have a pretty good season again. So he's going to get some attention. And, um, you know, being an East Coast team, will be on TV in the UK a little bit as well. So we'll get some eyeballs on Jaquan Brisker. A little bit as well. So, um, yeah, no, I like it. I did realise, as I said before, hand over to you for number five. You got just like both. So I was talking out of my ass then, but never mind. Um, my number five guy is Jordan Battle out of Alabama. Um, again, kind of a guy who I expected to be a little bit better than he was. Um, but nonetheless, he's a good player. I'm not going to kind of, you know, dunk on him too much. Sended uh, St. Thomas Aquinas High School in Fort Lauderdale. So a powerhouse of high school football where the likes of Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, and a whole bunch of NFL players attended. Um, you know, again, you can tell that he's kind of come all the way through from a powerhouse high school to Alabama because he knows how to play the game. He can diagnose, read and react was fantastic. Um, you know, can play a variety of positions. Alabama played a lot of cover two, but he can also drop deep. He can also play over the slot. So we know he knows the game. He's smooth, smooth mover, both in transition, out of back pedal, things like that, read and react, come downhill, and will hit pretty well. When he does hit because his tackling is a bit risky and it is a technique wise not too great i don't think he's got great stopping power either as well so he does come down the hill with a lot of urgency but i don't think he converts that speed into power when he's making tackles and because his technique's a bit shoddy that really drops him down my board and hence why he comes in at number five because obviously if you're safety you need to be able to tackle it's kind of important um, and he does get sucked downhill by qb pump fakes and eyes and things like that a little bit too easily for my liking however you know, he's an experienced starter in Nick Saban defence, so he's obviously pretty decent. So, yeah, came in at number five for me, um, and maybe that's a product of there being four quite good players ahead of him in my eyes. So maybe not too much of a, a knock on him, but just the kind of the class that we've got, because this safety class is miles better than last year for my money. 
Yeah, and he's actually my number four guy. So okay. I'll, I'll give you my thoughts quickly. And yeah, the way you talked about his eye discipline isn't really that great. We've seen a few plays over the course of his college career. He leaves his eyes in the backfield a little bit. And I, I, don't, I don't know whether that's just him not being able to read the game as well, or if he if he just is willing to go jump into the box and make tackles. But he is, he is sort of like a jack-of-all-trades sort of player. He can sort of play over the field. He's, he's average in coverage. He's average as a box safety. He, he He's not a master at any one thing, but he's good enough for every single position where NFL teams are definitely going to look at him. Another guy, I think, probably a day-two guy, just purely because of the utility he has. And that is what people are looking for in safeties now, is not... Is he great in coverage or is he a great tackler or whatever? They're looking for utility. They want guys who are going to be like Jamal Adams, Isaiah Simmons, uh, Jeremiah Urusu Koromoa. They are looking for guys who can sort of just fill that utility role, who can play all over the field because it's a value for money sort of thing. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that one for sure. I'll kick up then because obviously you have already gone with your number four. And my number four is Tyke Smith. I know this is a guy who's on both of our lists anyway, so we're going to kind of talk through... Uh, this guy again, shout out Keith as well. I know Keith really likes him, probably a little bit more than I do. Don't know about you, obviously, we'll come to you in a minute. But, um, you know, I've watched obviously his tape for West Virginia because that's where he's been for his college career so far. But now he's over at Georgia. So he'll be taking a nice step up into the SEC. And I will be interested to see how he does. I know Keith's really interested to see how he does as well. And he's really rooting for him as well. But from what I saw, um, good production, inside and out versatile in terms of he can play, you know, maybe towards up and down versatile, really. He can play in the slot and he can play back a bit deeper as well. He can get inside blocks and he's really, really slippery in the run game as well. And that maybe comes from the fact that he's a bit undersized. He's only 5'11". And I think he's under 200 pounds as well. So a light safety, a small safety. Um, and that slippery nature, I think, will increase his special teams value as well. But that's not to say that that's where they're playing because I think he's definitely got a role, like you say, as his first style piece, um, as his third safety on the field because obviously that's getting more popular and po- more popular in NFL defences. I think, though, considering his small size, he plays with such reckless abandon. I wish he didn't invite as much contact because he just like throws himself around like he doesn't really care. He's super urgent coming downhill, so he's better as a box safety who can play in the slot rather than someone who's deep. I think he's great in the run game. And I just had a little bit of a knock on, obviously, Jordan Battle for his stopping power. Tyke Smith stops you. When you hit, when you get hit by him, you're stopped. And he's got good short area quickness, which kind of comes into this slippery nature kind of thing that I'm talking about. And he doesn't get kind of duped out by running backs too much and things like that. So, yeah, a player that I was really, really enjoying watching the tape from. Couldn't really grade him too highly because I don't know what his role is going to be and how varied it's going to be at the NFL level and because of that undersized nature. Um, I've been really interested to see how he does at Georgia, uh, yeah, at Georgia and um, see if he can make that step up from uh, playing at West Virginia, where obviously we know the Big 12 isn't too much about defence. Yeah, I'm surprised I put him at number two but because at West Virginia, he kind of played that like overhang slot sort of role that we yeah, see sure. some some guys in. And, and the fact that he's, you know, he's listed 5'10", so we know he's 5'9". Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just like a common theme, man. But I like the aggressive play style on him. And yeah, obviously you can get too aggressive or whatever, but I just like the way he plays. And I think genuinely could be an absolute threat in the NFL. But I just, you know, I want to be able to see what he does at Georgia, which, like I said, maybe I've got him too high. But, uh, you know, I, I like what I see so far. And I think if he plays like a, a, a traditional safety role, that he, he can transition into that and play well. Just from what I've seen in his athletic profile and some of the players I've seen him make while running that overhang role at West Virginia, I think genuinely there's something there. 
Yeah, no, I'd, I'd definitely go along with that one. Um, so he's your number two, right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean that you're up next with number three? Is that where Brandon okay, Joseph, cool. yeah, yeah. which I don't know where he is on your list. He's my number three um, as well, so we've got him in the same position. Okay, F- fantastic. He is... He's the perfect like single high safety guy. I don't like making comparisons, but he very much plays like Jesse Bates, a, a guy who right now is is one of the top, if not the top. You know, him and Minka Fitzpatrick are the two top safeties in the league right now. Sorry, Doe and James, you're coming off an injury. I want to see how you adjust. Um, but he he is he's that guy. Like, you know, six picks in only nine games last season, which. For a safety, it's fucking ridiculous production. Yeah, like yeah. that, that is absolutely unreal. Let me um, let me just stop something there, just, just really, really quickly. Did you see the one where against Ohio State with one hand in the end zone? Against, I think it was Garrett. That, that was a that was ridiculous, actually, right? That's actually the, the the pick I was about to mention. Unreal player. Like, let's be honest, that's not luck. You don't pick off six passes in the space of nine games by luck or if you're average, which is why I compared him to Jesse Bates. Jesse Bates really came into his own last year and started looking like one of the best safeties in the league. And I think Brandon Joseph fits that profile. Now, I know we're talking about the whole like single high safety look, but that is great for him. He's, you know, he's a little undersized in terms of weight, but his arm span, his vertical, his speed, everything says to me, day one safety pick. Which safeties aren't, you know, like a regular pickup day one sort of player, but mm. he fits that role. And I think a team picking around between 20, 27, if they need a safety, this is a perfect guy to pick. He's what on 10 pounds. He's I mean, yeah, for sure. He's, for, he's, for sure. For his, in but terms like, of weight. his athletic profile is. Oh, hand, yeah, he's, he's quick. The way he's got he reads range. the ball, mm. he gets. The thing I'm really impressed by, because not a lot of um, guys can do this, and this actually leads in uh, to the way um, he has picked off so many passes, the way he diagnoses something really quick, and then his head is on a swivel at all times. He can get it around really quick and attack that ball at the catch point, taking it away from receivers who think they've got a touchdown or a first down. So Mm. he is just really effective. Yeah, for sure. No, He's got great instincts. He comes down in the run game as well and uses those instincts as well. Obviously, ball skills, productions off the charts, you know, six six picks is just unheard of, isn't it? Especially the back, on the he, back end. The only reason he's not two is size. Like, I know he's got, like, rangy arms and stuff, but, like, weight and stuff could be a real problem because mm-hmm. they're going to be asking him to cover bigger guys like tight ends and stuff in, in the NFL, and I think that could be his mm-hmm. downfall. Because if you put him up like a, a George Kittle or a Travis Kelsey, he's getting fucking bullied, let's be yeah. honest. Like, he's not that guy. But yeah. if, if you're putting him against, like, the average receiver, keeping him as that single high safety or bringing him down to bracket with a corner, he's going to be an absolute stud. The other thing that I've kind of got in my notes that we've not mentioned is only redshirt sophomore, so it might not even come out. But, you know, that would really be up to whatever season he has. Obviously, if he gets another four or five picks again or, you know, people start testing him and he's coming up with the answers again, then he's going to come out. That's, that's me. I've, I've got him as a junior, which, you know, I'm obviously wrong there. But we, we see this a lot in college. If you are projected in the first two to three rounds – do not come back for your senior year. It makes no fucking sense to stay in if you are projected. If you get projected uh, and you're in your junior year, which he, what was he, redshirt junior this year or redshirt sophomore? 
He'd be redshirt junior this year. Sorry. Um, I think. Okay. Anyway. So so yeah, like there there would be no reason for him to stay. No, he's in a redshirt year. sophomore this year. He's only a redshirt sophomore this year. Okay. So maybe he will stay in school, but if he's projected in the first two rounds, there is no reason to him him to come back for another year. Mm. Yeah, we'll see. Obviously, it depends on on um, obviously Northwestern playing a full season, him playing a full season, him having production. Because if he has a bit of a nosedive, then he'll go back again, and you know, maybe he'll use that to put on a bit of weight as well in this coming season. So it'll be interesting to see what he measures in whenever he does come out. Obviously, we've got the same number one, and I think this just leaves me to go through my number two now because I think obviously you've basically. Um, yeah, so my number two is Daxton Hill from Michigan, which is kind of strange for me because I'm having another Michigan guy in, in three or four podcasts that we've been doing. I've got now two Michigan guys at number two for their respective positions, um, mirroring what I've got in my edge rankings. I've got Aiden Hutchinson, who's a really, really good player. Um, so yeah, Daxton Hill, brother of Justice Hill, the Baltimore Ravens running back who came out of Oklahoma State a couple of years ago. Um, again, another skinny safety. And because, he, and because of that, his stopping power could be improved. But he's really, really quick. Again, he's like a similar sort of player and like style to Tyke Smith. But I just have Jackson Hill a little bit better. Um, he comes with power and he just tries to lay someone out every single time, which is, you know, sometimes a place where I can say that it's not with great control and things like that. But I think he does have a little bit of control over it. I remember when we were doing the draft guide last year and I was saying that about a few of the kind of day two, day three safeties where I was like, Guys just need to chill out. Just, you know, wants to knock the socks off someone every single time he comes down the field. Um, but, you know, his explosiveness is one of his best attributes and you shouldn't really curb that because I do think he just plays with quite controlled aggression. Because of his athleticism, his range is off the charts as well. And, uh, yeah, he's pretty decent in coverage across the board, you know, no, no matter if that's zone or man. So I'm pretty happy with that. And, and, you know, again, he can play deep or he can come down in the box because he's got that urgency and he's got that stopping power. So I think you've got a versatile cover to safety. Uh, and as much as, you know, maybe five, six, seven years ago when the Seahawks were in the Super Bowls, so that cover three system was being copied all around the league, it's becoming outdated now and everyone's reverting back to cover two a lot more. Um, so I think he'll be kind of valuable in the NFL because he's got that versatility to do kind of both roles um, and almost to kind of equal measure, I'd, I'd say. I've got, I feel bad. I've got him as my overrated guy. Oh, really? <laughs> so we kind of mirrored each other in terms of our cornerbacks and our safeties here. Yeah, um, and it, it's not that I don't like him as a player. I just, I just feel like that he's not going against anyone spectacular at Michigan. Like, let's be honest, the quarterback talent and is not exceptional in mm. the Big Ten right now. I think Michael Penix Jr. is probably the best quarterback in that entire conference, which is he's not bad, but it's saying something. So that's the only reason I've got him marked down because I've not seen anything that I think is ultra impressive just yet. Like I'm not willing to write him off. Um, you know, I, I mm-hmm. think he could, he could have a good season. I'm just like, from what I've seen, I don't think he's making the list. I think that's a fair point. I mean, it goes back to an article that was released on the website today that Ed has put together about Ohio state and then being this ominous, sort of uh, force in the in the Big Ten and he kind of mentioned a little bit in that that really spoke to that point that he said about you know the amount of QB talent that Ohio State has hoovered up over the, the past couple of years and why did they need them all you know what I mean I think he kind of said that if both um, the backups at Ohio State behind CJ Stroud kind of went to other Big Ten schools the Big Ten would be much better for it and you know you'd have and, better and evaluations let's, and let's be honest if Ohio State was in another conference like the SEC or ACC, they wouldn't be making the playoffs every year because they would be taking a loss or two. 
I don't think they are good enough to be that year in, year out when they have legitimate in-conference competition. There's a reason they are they pay teams like BGSU and Miami of Ohio a million dollars every year for a home opener. That's just I'm not trying to be horrible because I've been I'm, I'm a little bit softer on Ohio State recently. My girlfriend's sister works there, so I'm, I'm being a little bit nicer to him. Every single member of this family that I've joined is an Ohio State fan besides myself. <laughs> so I've got to be a little bit more lenient on them. But I think that if they had to play a tougher schedule at the start of the season, because they are slow starters, let's be honest. They are not a team that is in full swing until like week seven or eight of the season. Um, I just, yeah, I just, if they had to play Auburn week one or Obama week one or, or, or Clemson or Notre Dame, they would not be making the playoff year in, year out. So that week two game against Oregon will be worth a few eyes on then. If you're, if you're saying that, because obviously it's a big, I know they're going to be favourites for that game. I'm not trying to say Oregon are going to knock them off or anything like that, but you know, that's going to be a bigger It'll, it'll be competitive. And, yeah. It won't yeah. be like when they go to, Bowling Green and hang 50 on them. It's not going to be that sort of game for them. I noticed your girlfriend's gone out and you've said that now. <laughs> You're saying quiet. No, I'm not saying <laughs> Um Yeah, so it's quite a, quite a point to mention that I've got Ohio State rated as my number one team in the country at the moment. But yeah, we'll move on and we'll talk about um, another absolutely fantastic player who we've got both as number one. It's the guy who introduces the podcast. It's Kyle Hamilton out of the University of Notre Dame. Best safety in college football, the best safety prospect that we've had come out in a number of years, I would say. And I don't think we're even over-exaggerating that one. Um, because you led off on Sting, I'll lead off on Carl Hamilton. Uh, movement skills for a man of six foot four and over you know, about 200 pounds. 220 pounds. Yeah, uh, uh, insane. You know, fluidity, lightness on his feet. Uh, for a player of his size, like I mentioned, movement skills are incredible. Like he can flip his hips, he can run downfield, he can, can travel with receivers down the field, he can mirror, he can match. And he's got that competitiveness as well, which I really, really like. Tackling and stopping power is really good. He's got an experience from coming from a variety of ang- angles and alignments. And he does everything with a sense of urgency, but also whilst looking really patient as well. So he does things really quickly and efficiently, but he doesn't rush. And his read and reacts because of that allows him to do all of that, which is fantastic. And I just think he is a player of the highest, highest quality at a safety position. Um, which, like I say, I think if you're kind of a run-of-the-mill safety, it's not actually that valued. But if you are a top, top echelon safety, you could be going you know, top 15 because you're the kind of person that NFL teams are looking at. And you're thinking, well, if I play in the AFC West, not that the you know, Chargers are going to do this, I have to deal with Darren Waller, I have to deal with Travis Kelsey. If I'm in the AFC West, I have to deal with Tra- uh, George Kittle, sorry, not Travis Kittle. That would be a, a strange mixture. Um, and, you know... I need a guy who can kind of delete these guys out of the game. So he's going to be super valuable to some teams who have this problem at tight end in their conference or in their uh, division, sorry. And they're thinking, I need a guy who can take this guy out. Kyle Hamilton's that guy. And I think we're going to see him come into his junior season and just explode because I think the, the kind of one knock against him really that you can make is that he's not experienced. He's only had two. He got called for a targeting foul. I think it was against Clemson in the ACC championship game when they played obviously in that conference last year. So maybe he needs to work on that kind of thing. He needs to cool down a little bit sometimes in the big games. Apart from that, I don't really see many problems. Yeah, and his the fact that he is this big and, and moves the way he does, like there was games last year where he was mirroring Tutu Atwell, a second-round pick, who is uh, yeah. insanely agile and fast. And across two years, he's broken up 11 passes and picked off five more, which 
for a guy his size, he shouldn't be fucking doing. Like, let's just have it right. He doesn't move like he's actually human. Um, and if we're talking about, like, pure prospects, I, I, you're going to hate me. I'm going to compare him to Derwin James, I think. In, in, <laughs> yeah, in, 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 in the group chat earlier, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, just in terms of, like, how he is as a prospect. Maybe, like, not in terms of, like, physicality or the way he moves, but, like, in terms of how good he is as a prospect. I think he's up there with Derwin James, so maybe we'll see this guy driving a Rolls-Royce Phantom to practice soon with his, you know, sparkly lights on the ceiling on hard knocks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he's just so crazy because you could use him like Jamal Adams, but you could also use him as a cover guy. And like you said, against guys like Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, two of the best tight ends in the league, you, <laughs> you were going to see, you know, he, he's going to match up well against guys like that. And I think what, if you play him against like these top level tight ends, he's probably going to win seven out of 10 times just because of how physical and, and how well he plays. And I think he's probably faster than a lot of them. So he's not going to have trouble keeping pace with them. He's rarely sent another way by like double moves and things like that. He is just an incredibly intelligent football player. And I'll be, I'll be shocked if he makes it past 15, like pick 15. Like he's just, he's so good. I'll be shocked if he makes out the top 10. I'm going to be completely honest. I just think that he is like, I don't like to use this phrase because I think it's one that the media kind of use way too much, but it's unicorn. I just think he's one of those where you just don't get, it's just a rare guy. I thought you were going to just go generational. No, 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 you don't. (laughs) You know know me too well to know that I'm not going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, true. But um, yeah, I just think he's going to be super valued. I think in my way too early mock draft, which is obviously straight after the draft before we kind of dive in properly, I think I had him going number four overall, which... I've seen repeated in a few drafts as well. So, you know, we're looking Might at be a bit player. rich for my taste, but I, I feel like comfortably within the top 15. And and if he makes it past 10, even I'll be shocked, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think I could reach for four just because I think the first four teams coming out this season will be very hungry for different things. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, like you say, I mean, he's going to be super valued because I think he, as much as it's a good safety class, I think it is kind of the sort of thing where he is kind of head and shoulders above everyone. Yeah. So you've got like, you know, someone who's kind of there, he's like got this modern NFL usage. So yeah, I think he's got a chance to go really, really high. I will, I'll kick off with my under and overrated player. Obviously I've already kind of mentioned, I think that uh, Jordan Battle is my overrated player. He's, you know, he's a good player, like I say, but I think he's overrated. I was expecting more from this player. A little bit like Kaya Elam that we mentioned earlier. I think he gets a bit of Alabama tax. I think he gets a bit of a bonus for that. And, you know, he gets kind of overrated for that. Good player nonetheless, but, you know, he comes in at my number five, so I can't hate him too hard. Um, But, yeah, I was expecting him to definitely be above the likes of Tyke Smith and Daxon Hill, these kind of undersized guys when he's got this, you know, all-round safety prospect. I think it goes back... A little bit with a parallel with what Raj and Andy were talking about on the wide receiver uh, podcast about John Mechie. He's kind of this all-round guy with nothing to hang his hat on. Yeah, um, we've obviously already gone over who I think's overrated, but I- I- I'll show you my underrated guy. Um, oh, I really don't want to mess this name up. Uh, Isaiah Pola Ma- Maal. Yeah, okay, the USC. Uh, the USC yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and the thing I like about him is the thing I like about Kyle Hamilton, six foot four, mm. 215, 220 guy. Um, what I found interesting, though, is he wasn't played in the same sort of way Kyle Hamilton was. He was 
primarily used as that like deep safety guy, which, you know, that's a playmaking role. If you, if you think about it, like in the NFL, these guys who play the deep safety is a playmaking role. Um, but I think he certainly has the size to have more utility, which is why I think potentially guys are going to look at him in the third round, maybe even, you know, late second, depending on how his season goes. So I think he can have a really strong season with Keaton Slovis leading that offense, takes a bit of the pressure off that defense. Um, I just I just think his size is it's too much to ignore. I know in the NFL we get obsessed with measurables, and I try not to do that, but... There's a reason why Josh Allen went in the first round. And let me tell you, it wasn't, you know, how how good his technique was. And Isaiah Polamau is another one of those guys. His size is too much to ignore. He is an absolute fucking freak. And he, he bullies tight ends. And once again, that is the way the league is going. As we are getting more and more athletic tight ends who are used to catching more and more uh, volume of passes you are going to need guys like Isaiah to come in and, and be able to cover those guys and, and and essentially bully them at the line of scrimmage as well if you have him come deep into the play so yeah be interesting to see how they if they still use him as a deep safety this year but if if they give him a bit more utility it's definitely going to improve his draft stock yeah for sure he's a player I like I didn't make it into my top five but um, yeah he's a player that affects the game in multiple ways and it's a phrase that I use all the time because that's what I want defenders to do I want them to get you know, tackles for loss. I want them to make lots of tackles. I want them to get picks. I want them to make splash plays, forcing fumbles, things like that. And he does that all the time. You know, he's had a season in 2019 where he's got four interceptions. And uh, yeah, like you say, he's got the size, he's got the playmaking ability to do so. So yeah, there's no reason why he won't have a great season for USC. They're looking to be one of the best teams in the Pac-12. It's definitely someone who I'm going to be paying close, close attention to over the coming season. Um, but yeah, just to finish off, my underrated guy is a player that I really liked last year. He opted not to come out last year. Um, and it's Colby Harvell Peel from Oklahoma State. Now, Oklahoma State have got Trey Sterling as well, who makes a really good safety tandem. I think um, Colby Harvell, Colby Harvell Peel, sorry, it's a bit of a mouthful. He's a really good football player, understands the game, his role of those around him, kind of knows where his help is and things like that. Aggressive downhill safety, can cover tight ends in man coverage as well, attacks the ball well at the catch point. Um, issues that I've got with him, just really briefly, just centered around him being a bit stiff. I think I mentioned this last year where if he could change direction in the same way that someone like Kyle Hamilton would be, he'd be like right up there, but it does limit him. And I think that's going to limit him to like a cover two role rather than being like a deep safety or someone who kind of is relied upon to be deep. And um, yeah, I think he's a good player though. And I think he'll go in the mid rounds. I, I, I was almost going to pick Trey Sterling funnily oh, really? enough as like that <laughs> underrated guy. But, but the reason I, you know, didn't put him there was he doesn't have like the length and range to mm. be like a, a top safety. I think he's just a little bit undersized and not athletic, which is like literally the exact same critique there <laughs> you've had of his teammate. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he gets loads of production as well. Had five interception season in his sophomore season, first year at um, Oklahoma State. Uh, he got two interceptions last year and a bunch of pass deflections across his career as well. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how those guys do um, Oklahoma State next year. Yeah, um, not like not not thinking they're going to be like a team that's going to trouble the um, college football playoffs or the elite mm, guys, but they could de- they could definitely make some noise um, in the Big Twelve, and I I think they're one of those dark horse teams that might you know a team like Oklahoma or Texas might take lightly and then you know lose in overtime or something like that i know we see that quite often in college football but i think they're one of those teams and the reason is because they have two great safeties and and, and fairly sturdy defense 
Yeah, for sure. No, one to watch. Absolutely. So there we have it. There's our defensive back scouting notes from myself and Kieran. Others have gone through a whole bunch of safeties, a whole bunch of cornerbacks for you. And hopefully, you know, you enjoyed what we've kind of brought you today. If you've enjoyed what we're bringing here at the Fulton Yards, then go out and buy our NFL season guide. We are going to be giving away a digital copy, but you can get yourself a digital copy. And you can also get yourself one of the last few remaining printed copies as well. If you want to know everything about the NFL season coming up, it's 400 plus pages. Loads of work has gone into it. It's an absolutely beautiful piece of work as well that we've all put together and it deserves to be read by you. And good good for beginners as well. One of my close friends, uh, Dog Ends, I'm not going to call him by his real name because I've not called him that in 10 plus years. Um, but Dog Ends bought a copy, a guy who doesn't know much about the NFL and said it's actually very happy to familiarize him with like names and, and some of the way teams work. So even if you're a beginner, go out there, get yourself a copy and definitely worth the money. Yeah, there you have it then. So pop on to fulltimeyards.com, go into our guide section at the top of the webpage and pick yourself up. It's only a few quid for a digital copy if you want to splash out a little bit more on a printed copy. You'll have it forever in your hand. Well worth the money. I would recommend it going for everyone if you're a beginner or a NFL veteran. But there we have it, mate. We'll, we'll, we'll end off there. Um, got lots of good cornerbacks and good safeties in. Or we probably bring in a lot of notes to this and probably, you know, when we hit up the draft guide, the next publications come out from full 10 yards. I'm thinking we're right there with these position groups, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. And 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 I'm very excited for the draft guide this year because we're giving ourselves a little bit more, more time. So yeah. a little bit less stress for watching film, but rest assured that the corners and safeties once again is just going to be a lot of fun to watch and I feel sorry for whoever has to be linebackers this year um, I'm happy to take that lead but um, if you want to take interior defensive line um, but we'll yeah. sort all that out at a later date won't we but yeah yeah very excited to get ready and you can rest assured you are going to see some even more comprehensive breakdowns of the guys we mentioned today uh, in the in the new draft guide coming up soon absolutely just get out of here mate just tell everyone where they can find you at the himbo f10y uh i'm not going to say anything more cool and i'm at wakefield 90 so yeah we'll leave it there thanks for listening we'll catch you next time next podcast that you have from us we've got a couple coming out this week will be myself and raj i'm actually going to appear on a fantasy podcast i'll have to dip in some running backs to finish off the scouting series and we'll also have a team uh season preview as well where we're going to hopefully get a few of the guys on um, but that'll be with you later in the week probably thursday uh, sorry friday and saturday to welcome in the new college football season which starts next saturday we will see you then Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full 10 Yards. Thank you for tuning into the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. We have great information and some great content for you guys. Keep on flying that flag.